Hello and welcome to the First Day in Football Show. I am your host, Tobias Brown, and we are back. It is officially Super Bowl weekend, and in today's episode, we are going to preview the upcoming Super Bowl matchup, and I will tell you who I think is going to win the game. But before we get into that, I do want to update you guys on all the news and notes from around the football world. A lot to update you guys on. we got a couple of head coaches being hired, and we'll start there in Miami. The Miami Dolphins have found their new head coach to replace Brian Flores. They hire former San Francisco 49ers offensive coordinator Mike McDaniel. McDaniel, younger coach, one of the youngest coaches in the NFL at this point, only 38 years old, newer to the coaching game. He first got his start with Kyle Shanahan's staff there in San Francisco. So I like the hire for the simple fact that he is widely regarded as one of the best offensive minds in football and he's gotten a lot of praise from former players, including former Browns and Bengals wide receiver Andrew Hawkins. Andrew Hawkins has stated on numerous occasions that he feels Mike McDaniels is one of the smartest coaches in football. I really like this hire for that reason. I also like the fact that McDaniel quickly building a staff. He's already hired former San Francisco 49ers wide receiver coach Wes Welker. Wes Welker is, of course, most notably known for being one of the best slot receivers in football for the New England Patriots and the Denver Broncos. So I really like that hire. I think Welker can do a lot of really good things with guys like Devontae Parker and Jalen Waddell. That'll be interesting to see. Do the Dolphins bring back a Will Fuller to give Tua another speed threat? Are they able to bring back Mike Gisecki? They're a very talented tight end out of Penn State. So I like what Mike McDaniel has to work with in Miami. The biggest issue for Miami right now is the Brian Flores lawsuit and the subsequent NFL investigation into whether or not owner Steven Ross was incentivizing Flores to tank during the 2019 season. If you want a distraction, though, from those dark clouds looming over the franchise, the best way to distract the fan base is to go out and win. And I think the Dolphins are building a coaching staff that can do that. It'll be interesting to see what they get on the defensive side of the football. But that's in Miami. Moving on to the Houston Texans. The Houston Texans have also hired their new head coach. They promote defensive coordinator Lovey Smith to their head coach. Lovey Smith, of course, former Chicago Bears head coach, spent nine seasons at the helm of the Bears, including leading them to a Super Bowl appearance back when they had guys like Rex Grossman at quarterback and Lance Briggs and Brian Erlacher at linebacker. He then was the head coach for two seasons with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, very lackluster seasons there in Tampa before being fired and then moving on to be the head coach at the University of Illinois. Again, a very lackluster tender there, tenure there in Illinois, nothing really of note there. He then got back into the NFL ranks this past season as the defensive coordinator of the Houston Texans, and the Texans really did not have that astounding of a defense. They ranked 27th in the NFL in overall defense, but I will say the thing with that hire is Lovey Smith is well-regarded in NFL circles as a great motivator, as a great defensive mind, and you have to understand, you can't put the lack of success the Houston Texans defense had this year solely on Lovey Smith. He had zero talent to work with. They did not go out and get him anybody who you're saying, oh, that's a cornerstone defensive player, or oh, that's a guy you can build around. He, There's no talent on that defensive side of the football for him to really have much success with. And the fact that the Texans won four games, I think just shows you that that entire coaching staff overachieved. It's why I've been saying I didn't understand why they fired David Culley to begin with. And I will say, 
when you fire David Culley and then you promote a coordinator from his own staff, I really don't understand that. I know there were a lot of rumors that they were really wanting to hire Josh McDaniel. I mean, Josh McCown, but didn't. I guess what I just don't understand, if you were going to hire someone from within a staff that was already in the building, David Culley, his staff was already in the building. Essentially, all they did was give her to David Culley and just promote the rest of his staff. That makes zero sense to me because if you're firing David Culley after one year, you're saying this staff is not getting it done. The staff is not building the culture that we want that we think will be successful. Why are you promoting this defensive coordinator? really doesn't make sense. But I do feel like Lovey Smith does have some pedigree. Um, we'll, we'll wait and see. I, I'm not holding my breath that Lovey Smith is going to get it done. Just his track record does not show that he elevates football teams to that high of a degree. But he is the new man with the Houston Texans. Going to the college ranks, though, I did want to update you guys on a couple coaching moves in the college ranks. Got to look at Jim Harbaugh's staff there at Michigan. Michigan loses their offensive coordinator, the Broyles Award-winning offensive coordinator. Now, the Broyles Award is given to the best coordinator, the best assistant coach in college football. In this past season, it was given to Michigan offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis. Well, Gaddis has left Michigan. Gaddis is taking the offensive coordinator position at the University of Miami of Florida. Now, that one comes as a bit of a surprise as Miami of Florida has not really had a stellar program for the past several years, has not had great quarterback play either. Currently, looks like right now their starting quarterback is slated to be Tyler Van Dyke, who is so-so. I would definitely rather have J.J. McCarthy as my quarterback, which is the starter at Michigan, than I would a Tyler Van Dyke. But what was interesting about Gaddis taking essentially a lateral move from Michigan to Miami is the way he went out texting players, basically bashing Harbaugh, bashing the Michigan administration, declaring that Michigan and Harbaugh did not have his back, that the coach didn't care, that the players need to be careful. Just a lot of slanderous allegations out the door. I don't know if any of them have credence. Obviously, I'm not in the Michigan locker room to know what it looks like. But you have to believe that Gaddis may be on to something. The way Harbaugh just left in the middle of the night during National Signing Day hopped on a plane and thought he had the Vikings job locked up just to come with his tail tucked between his legs saying, hey, the Vikings didn't want me, so I'm back and it'll never happen again. Harbaugh's got a lot of damage control to do there. He did hire a defensive coordinator, former defensive coordinator at Vanderbilt, uh, Jesse Minter. I'm not a huge fan of the hire considering Vanderbilt's defense was ranked 118th nationally last year. I think when you're a program like Michigan, a program that just won the Big Ten, a program that was in the college football playoff semifinals, you have to be able to get better hires than the Vanderbilt defensive coordinator to come be your defensive coordinator, especially when your arch rival, the Ohio State Buckeyes, went and hired Oklahoma State defensive coordinator Jim Knowles, who was coordinating the fifth-ranked defense in the country there with the Oklahoma State Cowboys. So when you have your arch rival who also had to hire an off a, a defensive coordinator and they're able to get one of the best in the country and then you get arguably one of the worst in the country not a good look for Harbaugh when it comes to credibility and convincing recruits that they are a top tier program so it'll be interesting to see what does Michigan look like was this a one-year wonder for a guy like Jim Harbaugh was this just too good to not succeed with I mean look they had two defensive ends in David Ajabo and Aiden Hutchinson, who are both probably going to be top 20 to 25 picks in this upcoming draft. Aiden Hutchinson is widely regarded as the favorite to go number one overall in this draft this year. And David Ajabo is a physical freak with a ton of upside. Of course, he's being compared 
a lot to Adafi Owe, who was the first-round pick last year out of Penn State to the Baltimore Ravens. Really, that comparison's coming through because Owe and Ajabo were high school teammates. But when you have that kind of talent, when you have a running back like Hassan Haskins, who's getting ready to be a draft pick in this upcoming draft, you have that kind of talent, you, you have to succeed. It's almost impossible not to succeed. So what can Harbaugh do after losing guys like that? Can he retool? Can he, you know, some of the best programs of the country, whether it's an Alabama, whether it's a Clemson, whether it's an Ohio State, whether it's a Georgia, they lose guys year in and year out, and they don't skip a beat. You'll get Ohio State, the wide receiver room, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave sit out the Rose Bowl, and all Jackson Smith and Jigba does is have a record-setting day. You look at Ohio State at the quarterback position, they move on from, you know, JT Barrett. Well, that's fine. We could bring in a Cardale Jones for a little bit. Move on from Cardale Jones. Okay, now we have Dwayne Haskins. Move on from Dwayne Haskins. Now it's Justin Fields and it's C.J. Stroud. Alabama does the same thing year in and year out at pretty much every position. You think about the amount of running backs Alabama has put in the first round, whether it's Josh Jacobs, Trent Richardson, Eddie Lacy, you know, going all the way back. You can talk about Sean Alexander. Alabama, Ohio State, the elite programs, they retool. They do not skip a beat. Can Michigan get on that level? It'll be interesting to see. Another thing I wanted to touch on was some comments that were made by former Oklahoma Sooner head coach and current USC Trojan head coach, Lincoln Riley. Riley and his coaching staff and program in general have caught a lot of flack this past week for what people are perceiving as essentially Riley leaving Oklahoma in the middle of the night and then taking all of Oklahoma's best players with him. Now, Riley has come out and said, we didn't take any Oklahoma Sooner players. We took guys who entered the transfer portal, and we just happened to win their recruitment. That is a very interesting comment, and it's one that's going to be bulletin board material. Technically, is he correct? Yes. Caleb Williams entered the transfer portal. Riley and USC just happened to beat out the teams like LSU and Wisconsin, who Williams was considering. Okay. Let's use our you know powers of deduction here. Caleb Williams entered the transfer portal because Lincoln Riley left and because he understood playing with Lincoln Riley what was what gave him the best chance to be an NFL draft pick, a high-round NFL draft pick. If you look at the previous quarterbacks under Lincoln Riley, Baker Mayfield goes number one overall. Kyler Murray goes number one overall. Jalen Hurts gets benched at Alabama, loses his starting job to Tua Tagovailoa, is considered probably a late-round fringe draft pick at this point at that stage in time goes to Oklahoma balls out and gets drafted in the second round by the Philadelphia Eagles and is now a starting quarterback in the NFL Lincoln Riley for all of his faults is a great developer of quarterbacks but let's not pretend like Lincoln didn't know when he left for USC that he was going to have his coaching staff and the guys who went with him to USC calling some of those Oklahoma players and saying, hey, look, you can come too. If you come, I promise you, you're going to have a legit chance to start because look, Lincoln Riley gets to USC and within what, a week, a week and a half, both of USC's starting quarterbacks from this past season, Keaton Slovis, transfers to the University of Pittsburgh, and then you have Jackson Dart, who transfers to Ole Miss. So both of USC's starting quarterbacks, two guys who are both seen as potential NFL prospects themselves, pack up and leave. So I, I, Lincoln Riley is kind of a tongue-in-cheek comment. I'm not really sure I like it because, I mean, unless Lincoln Riley's just going for you know, super villain of college football coaches at this point, unless he's just trying to one up a guy like Dabo Sweeney. I don't understand. I mean, and 
to speak of Dabo Sweeney, can we get into the Dabo Sweeney talk of the transfer portal is bad for college football? NIL deals, him and Jimbo Fisher have been, you know, pounding their chest that name, image, and likeness deals are bad for college football. Meanwhile, Jimbo Fisher just landed the number one recruiting class in college football history. And Dabo Sweeney went into the transfer portal to get former five-star quarterback Hunter Johnson out of Northwestern. What are these guys talking about? Is it Are they bad for college football until it benefits their program? I mean, at this point, they, they both just need to shut up and coach their programs because guess what? Dabo Sweeney, this DJ Uyugale, he was supposed to be one of the best prospects you've ever had. He was supposed to be the heir apparent to Trevor Lawrence. You guys were supposed to be college football playoff contenders, and instead you finish almost out of the top 25 and losing football games that you had no business losing. And with Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher just needs to be quiet because, yes, has he had some success in the SEC? Yeah. Has he played in an SEC championship game? No. Is he justifying his $75 million contract? No. It is great that you can get all these recruits on paper. Now you have to develop them and the it has to translate on the football field. You can't just beat Alabama one year and then lose four games the next year. You gotta beat Alabama one year, you gotta beat Alabama again, you gotta beat Georgia. You have to build a consistent contender with Texas A&M. So really I would tell those guys, pipe down and worry about coaching your football teams. But without further ado, let's preview this Super Bowl matchup. Of course, it's the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams. If I would have told you that the Cincinnati Bengals would be in a Super Bowl at the beginning of the season, would you have laughed? Chances are you probably wouldn't have even listened to the next episode if I would have predicted that at the beginning of the season. Because if you look at the Cincinnati Bengals roster on paper, I know Joe Burrow is, you know, supremely talented. Obviously, he went number one overall in 2020, but he was coming off a torn ACL. He'd only played half a season in the NFL. And early on in the year, he had a game against the Chicago Bears where he threw four interceptions. So it was kind of a question on if Joe Burrow was going to be able to elevate this team this season. If you look at the preseason struggles, a guy like Jamar Chase had, everybody was overblowing the amount of drops he had. If you look at the offensive line, it has been a train wreck, but on paper it was a train wreck, so we knew it was going to be a train wreck. The defense was a lot of question marks, former high-round picks like Eli Apple, who had never produced, you know, bringing in guys like Larry Ogunjobi, who the Cleveland Browns decided they didn't need to bring back. Guys like DJ Reader, who were, you know, good, not great football players. A guy like Trey Hendrickson, who was kind of a one-year wonder with production. And somehow the Bengals have maximized all of that production, all of that potential on the roster, and turned it into a Super Bowl appearance. If you look at the Los Angeles Rams, how did they get to here? Well, they just essentially mortgaged their future to win now. They understood that they had a good, solid core of players with a guy like Robert Woods, a guy like Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd. There was a lot of talent already there. They just needed to get a couple pieces. And the big piece they needed was they needed a better, more competent quarterback than a Jared Goff. So they go out, they trade Goff, they trade some picks, and they bring in Matthew Stafford. Then in the middle of the year, they realize, well, we need to shore up the defense. We need to get the defense a little bit better. Send it over the top. So they trade a couple picks to the Denver Broncos. They bring in Von Miller. Then they're able to, after Robert Woods tears his ACL, he's done for the year, they're able to get a Odell Beckham Jr. when he gets cut by the Cleveland Browns. They've really done a good job, you know, whether it's 
trading for a Sony Michelle from the New England Patriots when Cam Akers went down at the beginning of the season. They've done a good job of just bringing in guys and maximizing their potential. The Los Angeles Rams, though, they have mortgaged their future. The Rams were expected to be here. In fact, they needed to be here because you don't make the type of moves that the Rams made and not make a Super Bowl. Now what they have to do is they, in my opinion, they have to win this football game. They are the team with everything to lose. Like I said, they have the better roster. They've, you know, went out and they've mortgaged more to get here. They're at home, which I know playing in Los Angeles really isn't that big of an advantage because, let's be honest, if you go to Los Angeles, you're not going to see millions and millions of Rams fans walking down the street. If you've watched any Holmes games for the Rams and for the Chargers this year, there's just as many away fans, no matter who the away team is, as home fans. So I I know LA is not a massive, you know, advantage, but you look at the coaching staffs. Sean McVay should be considered better than Zach Taylor. Sean McVay needs to be considered better than Zach Taylor. With that being said, is Sean McVay clearly better than Zach Taylor? If you look at Sean McVay in every big, big matchup, has he always, you know, rose to the occasion? You look at him when they played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they nearly squandered that opportunity. They nearly fumbled the bag for the chance to win that playoff game in the divisional round this year. Tried to let Tampa Bay back into it as much as humanly possible. He did a better job against the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC Championship game, but still, there were several times where the 49ers had the opportunity to win that game. The 49ers lost that game. The Rams did not win it. You look at McVay's other Super Bowl appearance against the New England Patriots, and McVay was completely outclassed. Bill Belichick made McVay's offense look like a kindergarten scheme, and the Rams only mustered three points in the entire game in McVay's other Super Bowl appearance. He cannot have another showing like that. He cannot get outcoached by Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor is a guy who got his opportunity from being a coach under Sean McVay. You can't lose to one of your quote-unquote students. You can't lose to one of your former assistants. McVay has to win this game and I think we have to ask the question if Sean McVay and the Los Angeles Rams go out there and they get completely outclassed if they get beat and they get beat convincingly by the Cincinnati Bengals do we have to begin to ask if Sean McVay is not an overrated football coach I mean if you look at the rosters he's had he should be in more Super Bowls. He should be contending. He has had elite talent his entire time there. And he, he's just he's doing what that talent is capable of doing. I'm not going to argue that he's not a great offensive mind. But what I will argue is I don't think he's a good manager of situations. I don't think he's a good manager of timeouts. I, I would argue that in that 49ers game, he set the Rams up to lose the game when they they used their last timeout with 10 minutes remaining in the fourth quarter in a game that was back and forth all game. I mean, what happens if in the Super Bowl they need those timeouts, but Sean McVay wastes them on useless challenges like he did in the NFC Championship game? McVay's a good coach. He's not a bad coach. There, I would rather have a Sean McVay than I would several coaches in the NFL right now. But is Sean McVay... This boy genius, this heir apparent, the next great head coach in football, I'm not sure, and I do believe if he loses this game, it's going to cause a lot of doubts in that one. 
really previewing the matchup, though, I think one of the biggest keys is going to be the trench play of both teams. Specifically, how does the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line hold up against the Los Angeles Rams defensive line? We've talked ad nauseum about how bad the Bengals offensive line is this year. It has not played good at all. Burrow was the most sacked quarterback in the NFL regular season. He was sacked nine times in their divisional round matchup against the Tennessee Titans. He was harassed all day against the Kansas City Chiefs. And the opponent in the Super Bowl just happens to have some of the most dominant defensive rushers in football with Aaron Donald, with Von Miller, with Leonard Floyd, with Greg Gaines. Can the Bengals O-line hold up? I'm not saying the Bengals' old line has to make it to where Joe Burrow doesn't get sacked at all, but can you keep Burrow from getting sacked more than four times in this game? That is going to be a big key. For the Rams, you got to get pressure, you got to get home, you got to harass Burrow, and you got to make Burrow make quick decisions, and then the secondary play has to show up. There's some injuries on both sides for both teams. You look at the Bengals. Their stud tight end, C.J. Uzama, sprained his MCL in the AFC Championship game. He is expected to play. All reports are indicating that he will play. If you look at the Los Angeles Rams, their starting tight end, Tyler Higbee, also sprained his MCL in the NFC Championship game. Unfortunately, he is. it appears he is not going to be able to go, so they will be without Tyler Higbee. Expect Kendall Blanton, their reserved tight end, to get more minutes. Also, uh, Joseph Noteboom, their backup tackle, a guy who had to start a playoff game when Andrew Whitworth was unavailable, he is out this game as well. And that hurts because the Rams have got very good offensive line play this year from guys like Whitworth, Austin Corbett, Brian Allen, Rob Havenstein. But Joseph Noteboom is their best backup lineman, a guy who really gives the Rams coaching staff confidence that if a guy goes down mid-game, Joseph Noteboom can step in and play very admirably without him. I think that puts the Rams at a disadvantage. Like I said, trench play going to be important. Other things that are going to be important, though, is really which quarterback takes better care of the football. Both of these quarterbacks are playing out of their minds in the playoffs. Joe Burrow has really emerged as one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL, and you've heard me say on this podcast multiple times, Matthew Stafford is solidifying his Hall of Fame resume with this playoff run. I just wonder, Matthew Stafford has been prone at times to throw interceptions. You look at the last four weeks of the regular season, and Stafford threw eight picks over the final four games of the regular season. So Stafford is prone to press and tends to take unnecessary risks. You look at the NFC Championship game, and he threw a wobbler of a pass up there that needed to be in- intercepted by Jaquiski Tart. Tart, of course, dropped it, though. So Stafford is known to press. You'll get Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow also threw a costly interception on a sideline pass in the AFC Championship game. Burrow, we've talked about, through four picks against the Bears earlier this year. Burrow is also prone to press a little bit. So which quarterback is able to take better care of the football? I also think, though, another big key is going to be the running games. The Bengals have the better running back in Joe Mixon, and the Rams' running game has struggled. The past two games, the Rams' leading rusher 
has been held under 50 yards rushing. You look at Cam Akers, he's been their leading rusher in both games, and he's been held in the 40s each time, including two fumbles against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So which running attack can get going more? Obviously, both teams have great pass catchers. You look at the Rams, you've got Cooper Cup, who just won Offensive Player of the Year. You've got Odell Beckham Jr., who had over 100 yards in the NFC Championship game. you got former second-round pick Van Jefferson, the, floor, the former Florida Gator. And, I mean, there's great weapons for the Los Angeles Rams. But then you take a look at the Cincinnati Bengals, and you can't help but wonder, do the Bengals have even better weapons? You look, you've got... The Offensive Rookie of the Year and wide receiver Jamar Chase. You've got Tyler Boyd, who's one of the best number two wide receivers in the NFL. You've got one of the best number three wide receivers in the NFL and former second-round pick T. Higgins. Really just great offensive weapons. And then the fact that C.J. Uzama is expected to play is a massive, massive deal for that Bengals offense. So we've looked at the offenses. We've looked at the defenses. Could this game come down to special teams? And if this game comes down to special teams, we've got two pretty young kickers in the Cincinnati Bengals. They've, of course, got Evan McPherson, the rookie out of Florida, who has been nothing short of spectacular during this playoff run, going 12 for 12 with field goals, including two game-winning kicks and four 50-plus yard field goals. Then you got Matt Gay. Matt Gay, who, of course, replaced Greg Zerloin when he departed for the Rams to go to the Dallas Cowboys. Matt Gay has been shaky. He has had some really good moments. He has had some really bad moments. He's missed multiple kicks in the playoffs. So you've got to think that the kicking game has to go to the Bengals. Now, if you look at the punters, probably give that to the Rams. I know nobody wants in-depth punter analysis, but I'll keep it short. Kevin Huber, the Bengals punter, is the longest-tenured Cincinnati Bengal, and he's a darn good punter. But Johnny Hecker is arguably the best punter in football. So special teams, if it comes down to it, I'm going to give the Bengals a slight edge. I really think that, you know, I've heard a lot of people say that the Bengals are probably going to get destroyed because of how bad their offensive line is and the fact that the Rams' defensive line will probably be harassing Burrow all game. I think this game is going to be a lot closer than people think. I think the Bengals are uniquely suited to match up really well against the Rams. The Bengals have solid pass rush in their own right with Trey Hendrickson, with DJ Reader, with BJ Hill, the production he's brought since being traded from the Giants to the Bengals. I think, the, you know, you've got Sam Hubbard as well, who's played very well for them this year. I think the Bengals have a good enough defense to get pressure on Stafford. I think their secondary, while it's not elite, it's still very good with guys like Jesse Bates and Von Bell at safety. You've got Mike Hilton coming over from the Pittsburgh Steelers and playing a big role this year. And if a guy like Eli Apple, Eli Apple doesn't have to make big plays. He just has to not give up big plays. A guy like Eli Apple is prone to make massive mistakes he just needs to play within himself and not make the big mistake in this game. I think the Bengals have the defense to get this done, and I actually think the Bengals do win this football game. I know I've been picking the Bengals pretty much every week, all week throughout this playoff run, and I'm picking them again. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna doubt Joe Burrow and company. I've got the Bengals winning this game. I think it's gonna be a close one. I think they win it 28 to 24. I think Matt Stafford is going to throw a costly interception. And I think the Bengals are going to get this done. The one way I see the Los Angeles Rams winning this football game is if Joe Burrow's offensive line just absolutely implodes. If Hakeem Adeniji, if Jackson Carmen, Isaiah Prince, Jonah Williams, Quentin Spain, Trey Hill, if those guys just 
refuse to come out and play competent football, I could see the Los Angeles Rams running away with this game. But I think those guys step up to the occasion. I think those guys get it done. Like I said, Bengals win this one 28-24. Joe Burrow solidifies himself as a top five quarterback in the NFL with his performance on Sunday. But that's all we've got for the Super Bowl preview show. I'll be back immediately after the Super Bowl Sunday night reviewing it, giving you my thoughts, and we will reconvene then. But until then, like I always tell you guys, rate, subscribe, and review to the podcast. As always, take care, and we will see you guys later. Thank you.